Welcome to HealthCast. I'm your host, Adam Patterson. We are joined today by Dr. Ernest Moy, Executive Director of the Veterans Affairs Office of Health Equity, or the OHE. The VA's OHE is focused on addressing gaps in healthcare, working to provide a full scope of care to all U.S. veterans. This is a comprehensive effort which covers a range of domains, whether disparities between men and women veterans, differences in health outcomes across different ethnic groups, or regional considerations such as providing a full scope of care to veterans living in rural areas. This can even include addressing technological gaps, such as encouraging technical literacy among elderly veterans who might not have grown up on the digital platforms that are used to schedule and provide health services. Dr. Moy brings together experience as both a practicing physician and healthcare researcher, including extensive work at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention analyzing rural healthcare disparities and the precipitators of opioid overdose. Dr. Moy brings together this background in his current role at the OHE overseeing extensive data-intensive research designed to identify and correct against a range of health disparities in pursuit of providing the best possible care to America's veterans. Dr. Moy, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Really great to have you. And I want to start out with a question about yourself and your background. And that is, can you tell us a bit about your career and your research interests and what brought you to your role now as VA's uh, Executive Director of Health Equity? Sure. Um, So I am an internist by training, and I trained up and down the East Coast, uh, including at a number of uh, VAs. I was at VA Manhattan and then at VA Philadelphia, and my first job was at VA Baltimore. And one of the things that was very evident working on these uh, East Coast uh, places, including VAs, it was the importance of equity in a lot of the things that uh, we were seeing, more so outside of VA, but also somewhat inside of VA, that the ability to address the needs of different patients, uh, the different health-related social risks that they were experiencing was just important as attending to all of their medical needs. And so that's how I got interested in the notion of health and healthcare disparities and equity. And I spent much of my career studying issues related to health and healthcare equity and disparities, both in academia and in the not-for-profit sector. I worked for the Association of American Medical Colleges for a while, but for about the last 25 years for the federal government. And I spent most of that time in the Department of Health and Human Services. I worked at the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality, which was charged to produce an annual report to Congress on the status of healthcare quality and healthcare disparities. And I led that for, for many, many years. And I came to VA about three and a half years ago because I wanted to do something besides just studying disparities. I wanted to do something about them. And I knew that VA, from having worked in VAs, was uniquely situated to be able to address many of the issues that our, our, our veterans experienced that, that caused different disparities. So I came to VA about three and a half years ago in the Office of Health Equity, where our charge is to work on these issues. And it's been a wonderful experience. I think we have been very, very effective at addressing some of these disparities that exist among veterans. Definitely. It sounds like an incredibly important mission. And I want to follow up about the question around what are the major causes of veteran health disparities? Because I'm curious, what do you see tend to be the most notable causes of veteran health disparities at this moment, whether by regional differences, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation? What do you see are the biggest causes that, that you're currently focusing on addressing at OHE right now? So we see a lot of different kinds of disparities, and they're due to different reasons. So we certainly see regional differences, and we know that many of our rural veterans have greater difficulty accessing you know, VA medical centers. And this is especially true under the, you know, the realm of COVID, uh, when it's been very difficult to get anywhere at all. And so 
some of the work the VA has done in this area has been wonderful, you know, trying to use other kinds of technologies and teleservices to be able to communicate effectively and deliver care to rural veterans. Uh, we, of course, also see differences that relate to age and sex and race ethnicity. Um, they all are contributors to some degree to healthcare disparities. And we don't know as much about sexual orientation because we just simply have less data. The little data that we do have on, the, on, on those populations are as they also experience a lot of, of disparities. So we are trying to track them and ramping up tracking them. We don't have as much information on them. One of the things I like to emphasize is VA is unique in a lot of ways. So we're actually really good at delivering high quality care to veterans and that's true for all of our veterans. So when we look at a lot of processes of care, so the different services that veterans receive, they represent very good quality care, and they're actually pretty evenly distributed. We don't see a lot of differences across different groups. However, as our veterans are getting the exact same care, they don't always achieve the same health outcomes. And so we think that that is really one of the root causes that we need to deal with. And I think the reason why you'd be receiving care and not being achieving good health outcomes or as good health outcomes are things that, are, that relate to those some of those softer things, you know, uh, do I understand uh, the instructions that my providers providing me? Do I trust them enough to, to follow those instructions in as much detail as someone else would? You know, do I feel that I'm getting information in ways that I can understand fully that reflect my living circumstances and that I can implement easily? I, mean, I think those are some of the things that we're currently working on to remove any remaining disparities that exist among veterans as it relates to the outcomes they achieve. Definitely. It always comes down to that human element, it sounds like, at the end of the day. And I'm wondering, in terms of specific health conditions, what health conditions are typically more common among veterans and the general population? And do some of these particular health conditions appear more frequently even within certain veteran populations? Mm -hmm. So um, things that are more common, among, so those are two slightly different topics, but I'll talk about things that are more common among veterans and non-veterans. So veterans uh, are more likely to experience different kinds of chronic pain conditions. Um, serving in the military is very taxing on the body. And I think this you know, continues uh, often for the rest of their lives. They often experience uh, PTSD and other kinds of um, mental health, health disorders at a higher rate. The, they often will develop different chronic diseases a little earlier than the general population. But once they become older, you know, once, once they reach 65 and older, the, the, the rates of um, different chronic diseases are not that much different across uh, comparing veterans with non-veterans. We do see differences among the veterans as well. And so we see, um, as in the general population, high ra higher rates of many of the chronic conditions uh, among minority veterans, uh, more likely to have high blood pressure, diabetes, heart disease often occurring at a slightly younger rate, and that this is reflective of the general population. And we do think, therefore, that that's you know, our area of focus, trying to deal with some of these disparities in very common chronic diseases that can be managed but require the direct participation of the patient, right? They have to take their medicines, stick to a diet, exercise, and trying to find the best way to message to different groups of veterans so that they can most effectively follow that kind of advice to achieve good health outcomes is a big part of what my office does. 
Definitely. And it sounds like it requires a really sensitive, comprehensive approach that, again, is really tailored to, as you mentioned, making sure that care is, is provided to veterans and that they're given the best information and, and, and care that they could ask for. And something else it looks like the Office of Health Equity does at VA is you regularly publish research and analysis, including it looks like a recent report on telehealth disparities. And I'm curious, what are some of the technical disparities that veterans currently face and how is VA working to overcome these, whether it's, again, things like telehealth or device access or, or broadband or the like? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we do a lot of reporting. A lot of our reporting is general. And so we do analyses of both VA data and non-VA data, again, looking for the differences across different populations, veterans versus non-veterans, then among different groups of veterans. We do support a number of activities that relate to telehealth. And I'll say that we, for this, we usually rely on our partners. We have a number of partners that, you know, their whole lives are dedicated to studying telehealth. And we give them the encouragement to look at the variations across these different groups um, who are receiving telehealth. And some of the findings that we see generally reflect, I'll say, that we do a pretty good job of both getting telehealth into the hands of veterans as well as um, getting it into the hands of veterans in a very equitable uh, fashion. So we have a major partner out at uh, Palo Alto, um, uh, uh, Dr. Jackie Ferguson, and she's published a number of papers looking at telehealth under COVID. And some of her observations are that, you know, as the rates increased dramatically across VA because people couldn't come into our facilities, it increased very equally across different populations. So we did not see uh, differences across different populations in this ramping up of telehealth services. In fact, many of the populations we were most worried about and consequently targeted actually were able to achieve higher rates of telehealth use than others. So people were worried that you know, older veterans would not be able to access technologies. So a major push was made to make sure older veterans knew how to use um, the technologies that they would need to communicate with the VA in a virtual environment. And as a consequence, they actually had very, very high rates, even higher than uh, younger veterans often. Uh, homeless veterans, another group that we are very, very concerned about, maybe not having access to devices. And so, you know, we had major initiatives to give, you know, homeless veterans devices that they would be able to communicate with the VA virtually. And so the actual use of um, virtual devices by veterans was higher among homeless veterans than, than housed veterans. Uh, so I think when we think about it, you know, think about what population needs special attention to get what they need, we're actually good at delivering it. And, and telehealth is very reflective, I think, uh, of that philosophy and then successful implementation. Definitely. And it sounds like those investments and efforts to reach out to specific veteran populations have really, really paid off. And I have another question about the technical aspects at hand. And this is, it looks like, you know, VA has invested a considerable amount of resources and expertise and effort into augmenting data sharing and analytics capacities and a general health IT push. And I'm curious, how has VA begun to apply advanced capacities like, again, data analytics and modernized EHR to better research and address existing health disparities? Mm -hmm. So VA is blessed in many ways uh, with having one of the most advanced electronic health records systems you know, in existence. We 
track millions and millions of veterans over years and years, and we have really, really good data about all the different kinds of care that they receive, both with inside of VA and outside of VA. I mean, a common myth is that the VA data are limited, but when we've actually looked at the VA data, uh, they are very good and better than what exists in the private sector. So for instance, for looking at disparities, you know, we see reports from the outside, including other parts of federal government where, you know, they're missing race, ethnicity for maybe half the patients, and that's considered acceptable. Whereas we have that kind of information for 90% of the veterans that come into our system on a regular basis who are seen in the last five or six years, for instance. So much, much better data that's available to us to actually examine disparities. We also have a much deeper understanding of the actual care that different veterans receive. Again, being able to track them longitudinally for many, many years often, and excellent technologies for doing natural language processing and extracting information that are not easily encodable. So really wonderful things that are uh, available to uh, VA to examine the care it delivers. I will call one out in particular, which is again, quite cutting edge, is, the, is our use of different uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning algorithms to help guide the work that we do. And so there are a number of these algorithms in place to identify people at high risk for um, suicide or for you know, adverse uh, consequences of opioid. And these do um, help us identify high-risk veterans. One of the issues that exists outside is that people are concerned that these algorithms may be biased against different groups of veterans. And inside of VA, we actually have groups that examine that. It's called algorithmic bias. You know, are these uh, uses of electronic health records to generate, um, you know, artificial intelligence algorithms biased in some way? And we actually do look at it, and we generally don't find that they tend to be biased. There are little tweaks that can be made to make them better, but um, we can actually, you know, answer the question. They're actually not particularly biased, which is just, you know, this in the outside world, this is just a question, not even one that can be explored very effectively. Definitely. And I think it's impressive that you are dedicating that level of resources and, and effort to vigilance around ensuring that AI algorithms and programs are unbiased, that they are providing the best um, aggregation of information analysis possible. And it looks like, again, it's being applied towards a whole host of, of conditions and, and concern areas. Again, as you'd mentioned, addiction, mental health, as well as uh, physical health outcomes as well, as those are, I'd imagine, intimately pretty linked. And I, I want us to bring us a little bit closer to the current moment, and of course, the the demand that's being put on all healthcare networks in light of the current pandemic. And I'm curious, did the sudden demands of the COVID-19 pandemic either worsen or expose certain uh, veteran care disparities? And how has VA worked to, to bridge these? Mm -hmm. So yeah, um, COVID has revealed a lot of disparities in our system as a whole. I mean, the bigger system, the U.S. healthcare system, as well as uh, in VA, just like the rest of the world, we were terrified back way back when now in March of 2020, when we were seeing, you know, half of our cases, half of our deaths being among African American veterans. And um, we knew that we needed to do something to make sure that this was not something that continued. And so starting way back then at the very begin beginning of the pandemic, um, we intentionally activated all the great things that exist in VA. So we got the uh, VA researchers to look what happened during past pandemics. And one of the things that they were able to show is that um, during past pandemics, in fact, yeah, minority 
peoples uh, were often less likely to be able to protect themselves because they often were essential workers and had jobs that they had to go out um, and meet face to face with clients and um, and provide direct you know human actions with others. They couldn't telework. They couldn't do these things that other groups uh, could protect use to protect themselves more effectively. And that that was a major reason why they often would have higher rates of disease. And this inspired to us the need to do uh, very specific messaging and targeting to different groups to make sure that they knew how to protect themselves. And then finally, when vaccination became available, that they went out and got vaccinated. There was a group inside of VA that was, was specifically dedicated to trying to take messaging and make it resonate with different groups of veterans, Black veterans, American Indian veterans, Hispanic veterans, et cetera, and produced uh, very focal messaging products, you know, um, people giving the messages, videos, uh, different kinds of media products that are available for use. And as a consequence, what we saw after the first couple of months of the pandemic was that even as things were still very different outside of VA across different racial and ethnic groups, they were much, much smaller within VA. And I think, you know, you've probably heard that within VA, for instance, even now, the vaccination rates are higher among our African and Hispanic veterans compared to our white veterans, whereas outside of VA, they're lower. And so we think that this is in part due to the mindfulness of VA to address the messaging needs of different groups of veterans and the success of getting that message out to different groups of veterans. Definitely. And it sounds like, again, that uh, that messaging campaign has been immensely effective. And the indication in terms of the high rates of vaccination clearly vindicates that. And I want to just ask a small follow-up question about that, because it sounds like the messaging campaign has been clearly quite effective. But I'm also curious, from a logistic and supply level, how did VA work to ensure that there is a nationwide availability of vaccines to veterans and VA patients? What were the logistical steps taken to make sure that was put into place? Right. No. Um... I would be short-sighted not to laud all the wonderful people that were working on this, particularly Jane Kim and her group that led our response to COVID. So, you know, starting from the get-go, uh, planning how to get vaccine to all of our different VA medical centers, especially at the start when the refrigeration requirements were so severe and we knew that not all of our facilities would be able to store vaccine. You know, how can we get it to as many places as possible? And that included, you know, flying those airplanes into rural areas or sending tr trucks into rural areas to, to, you know, give vaccine locally where they otherwise would not be able to receive it because of the time constraints, again, of the vaccination. Just a lot of effort to make sure that um, it was made uh, most broadly available. So I, I think that this campaign, again, uh, these activities have been very, very successful because of the participation of all these different groups. The primary care and vaccination people that were focused on, uh, you know, making it available and getting it out there. All the other experts that are available to, again, just just make sure that if there were places that were having difficulty, that they got the support that they needed. Um, if there are places that were having, you know, problems with storage, that those different kinds of problems could be addressed in a very very timely fashion. Definitely. And it sounds like the logistical component has been a, a vital 
aspect of the response, and it sounds like there has been a lot of really impressive efforts that have gone through. You'd mentioned the refrigeration demands being met because the early vaccines, it sounds like, required a very, very demanding and very specific low uh, temperature holding for them to stay again potent um, prior to inoculation. And uh, I just want to ask a final question before I wrap up, Dr. Moy. Is there anything else you would like our audience to know about the work you're doing at OHE, or if there, uh, for example, any initiatives uh, uh, coming out in the near future that we should potentially keep an eye out for? Okay, and uh, I wanted to finish up on the vaccination question. One thing that kind of leads up to this as well, I think, which is, I think, you know, part of our success is because we are a healthcare system. And as a healthcare system, we're taking care of veterans who are not strangers. You know, as other people are trying to vaccinate, they, they're people going into public health departments or having other interactions other than a interaction with the healthcare provider that they know and that they trust. When we go out to vaccinate, these people we know, these are veterans who come to us, they trust us. And so I think that all makes it much, much easier. We can also take advantage of the, you know, one of the secret sauces of VA, which is other veterans. Veterans will listen to other veterans. And so as veterans get vaccinated, they can tell other veterans about their experiences and encourage them to also get vaccinated. And I think that's been very effective. I think that underlies a lot of the things that we try to do in health equity, which is to take advantage of the many strengths that VA and veterans have in order to minimize the health inequities that exist in the broader world, at least try to reduce that uh, for, for veterans inside of our system. So we do a lot of work with veterans to try to get their inputs into how we can make care better and then incorporate that into the products that we make. We also take advantage of, uh, you know, again, all the goodness that already exists in VA. So in terms of addressing equity issues, we work with the quality improvement specialists that exists in all the VA medical centers trying to uh, maximize the quality of care delivered to veterans. And now we take them and we say, okay, you know, equity often is a very influential aspect of quality. How can we, you know, use that to help guide our quality improvement activities to so make them even more effective and even more efficient? We have a big initiative looking at, um, you know, becoming high reliability organizations. Again, how can we take that fundamental construct and incorporate the notion of equity so we can make sure that everyone is getting the best, safest, highest quality care uh, possible and that that uh, is given to all of our veterans, not just most of our veterans. Absolutely. And it sounds like that focus on completeness in knowing that your mission is never fully finished until the care given to every last veteran is equitable and complete. Sounds like it really is the driving core of your mission. So again, Dr. Moore, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the program. It was an absolute privilege. Oh, thank you so much. It's a pleasure talking to you. HealthCast along with GovCast and CyberCast is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them in your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at gcio.com.